Hey, Alex. Yes. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Uh, I don't know. Nacho cheese. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of Mastication Nation. And how can I possibly top an introduction like that? Uh, I don't think you can. I think for I the first time ever, I'm just going to lead them with bad jokes. And maybe that'll be a no, good no, thing. That's good. I like it. That was that was good. Nacho cheese. And that, that, that joke, or I don't know what it is, but it's not a pun, is it? Is it a pun? Um, yeah, I guess so. It is a pun. Yeah. It is a pun. It, that pun keeps on giving. So, good work. And we can, we'll talk, we'll circle back, because obviously we're talking about M for nachos, but episode 15 of Mastication Nation, the episode about food. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how are you, Will? I'm great. I, I'm great. And I, I, I want to say to all our listeners, Alex is being a trooper to make this episode happen. You want to talk about like your travel and your current state of wellness? My, my, my travel is what it is. I, I, I've, I'm conditioned to do this. I just have a bit of a summer cold. <laughs> but hottest I'm day of the year in England and Europe. It is. It's cold. the hottest, hottest bank holiday on record, Maybank holiday on record. And it's beautiful. It's lovely. We've been outside the whole day. Yes, I do have a cold. I went to Chicago. We'll talk about that later. But here we are, episode 15. Episode 14 was about... Mustard. Mustard. Yeah. And you know what? I put out a challenge at the end of the episode saying, I think that mustard is one of those things that is universally accepted. There's not a lot of people going, no, screw mustard. I hate mustard. And we got a lot of feedback on the episode, and none of it was, no, screw mustard. It was all... Here's my favorite, yeah. Here's my favorite, and here's how I like it. Of course, Andrew, our brother, was like, yeah, uh, I'm glad you spent a whole five minutes on (laughs) wrenches, because I'll put that shit on anything. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that was good. I love what our our good friend, uh, Ben Pimp My Dibber, said, that he's a Coleman's guy, and puts it on everything in vast quantities. Trouble is, the purveyor, and I'm quoting him here, the purveyor of great condiments in large formats, Costco, 100% true, only seems to do triple squeezy packs of Coleman, which are, and I quote, shit. I need Gigantor mayo-style jars, which you can get into up to your elbows. <laughs> and I love, immediately somebody replied, another listener, called at Fat Welsh Bloke. Great name. Great name, and I will take his opinion on food very seriously. And it says he says, try one of the food service or catering suppliers at two and a half kilo jar is available. <laughs> That's a lot of mustard. And but as we that, mentioned, yeah. it never goes off, so yeah. you're set. You you are set. You are set. I think that's uh that's absolutely true. So there you go, Ben. Let us know if you do find that. And fat Welsh bloke, welcome to the Mastication Nation family. You are fully indoctrinated just by your Twitter handle and alone. Yeah. But did you see this follow-up question from our brother? He said, have you ever tried black truffle mustard? It's wonderful with a British banger, which French is most certainly not. I'll, I'll challenge him on that last point, but have you ever had truffle mustard? I've had – well, this is the thing. I, I've had truffle mustard, but I think you and I are on the same page about truffle and how it's on everything and truffle oil, which is no, not even close to the real thing, seems to be on everything. If it's truffle oil, I don't like it. It's got chunks of truffle in the mustard. Probably going to like that, but I've never had it. I, I haven't had it either. I'm sure that Andrew, our brother, tried it in the south of France because truffle is everywhere down there. So I, I, I'll try it next time I'm, I'm down there. Let's see. Oh, this is great. We've got so many new listeners because of the layovers uh, crossover episode that we did. Uh, John Young, who has a great Twitter handle, at 1JY. He must have been, like, in there at the beginning. Uh, discovered Layover's podcast after after episode 60, and he's listened to all of them. Which You're means, a glutton for punishment. You really are, because for early ones, even Paul and I say are not, not so great. And now he's going to start going through the Mastication Nation episodes as well. So good luck to you, sir. I don't I don't envy you. <laughs> But I, you, you, you reminded me of this next one. This is actually a video that was sent to us by Ross Manson, 
Well, this was like I think it was a couple like a week ago, and I, it's funny because a lot of people are sending us photos um, of the the May Bank holiday and, and English people just obliterating food, not to point name uh, name names, pimp my dibber. Um, but yeah, we need to come back to that. Yeah, we will. Uh, and but Ross sent us. Uh, it looks like, and correct us if we're wrong here, but it looks like you're the one actually making this. So it's a video of uh, him making uh, saute Singapore style, but in the UK, and it actually looks really good. It looks amazing, and I just l- played the video with my headphones on. It sounds amazing too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, digressing a little bit, um, do you watch Hot Ones? Do you know what I do it? Not. Do you know I what know it? what it is. Okay. It's it's the YouTube channel where they make celebrities eat hot wings right yeah so they had alton brown on there last week or the week before last and he was talking about how like instagram has basically destroyed food because everyone's obsessed with the look of food and not the sound smells and hospitality that comes with food and i believe that i think that like you know the sound of good food and this is why i think like we're so especially as we into the hot months the, the sizzle of a good piece of meat on on hot coals is just something primordial inside me makes me happy so that video did make me happy and I'm glad you had the accoutrement to go with it. Some uh, some peanut sauce and some 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 cooling vegetables as well. Yeah, and I like looking at this video. I think maybe we're studying this a little bit too intimately, but it looks like Ross and and tell us if this is the case. It looks like you actually have like the proper rectangular grill, charcoal grill for saute or yakitori or something like that. I'd be interested to know a if that's the case, and b can I have it because. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's cool. And then there was a lot of back and forth about mustard. Paul Papadimitriou inadvertently sent us a recipe for salad dressing with his enthusiasm. I loved it. He just said, caps, grain love, exclamation mark, Greek olive oil, white or red wine vinegar, a hint of balsamic vinegar, mixed herbs, and then the Maggie seasoning and grain mustard. Yum. And then replied to himself saying that was a salad dressing recipe, by the way. It does sound good. And Maggie, if you're not familiar with it, I think that's how you pronounce it, is this seasoning, Swiss seasoning company that's been around since the 19th century. And one of the things that they have, they, they make like stock cubes and uh, actually make cup noodles as well, believe it or not. But they also have this sauce, which is essentially a sort of cross between Worcester sauce and soy sauce. So just basically a bottle of dark umami blackness. Yeah. Uh, which is which is good. So uh, I think I'm going to try that recipe and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what – I thought mag, Maggi or whatever, how you pronounce it, was like a seasoning blend it might be. But like I just looked up and I'm like, oh, no, I, I've recognized that brand. I, I just didn't click that it was a brand name. So good to know. Um Jumping back to uh, Pimp My Dibber real quick, uh, like as I mentioned, it is the the August Bank Holiday. The August, it's the May August Bank Holiday. Wow, well, I love future. three months. Um, and uh, there was a, a, a terrible looking cremated hockey puck of disaster that that he just sent to to our our, our Twitter. Um, it looks like um, someone was enjoying a, a few too many beverages while also trying to cook some burgers. And uh, let's just say, I'm glad the fire department wasn't called there. And I love it because he says it's a gin wine beer burger on the big green egg. And it does. It looks like light cannot escape its surface. <laughs> and you asked him immediately, was gin slash wine slash beer involved in the cooking of the burger or the marinating of the chef? And he replied saying, well, it is bank holiday, but All misspelled spelled holiday. So, <laughs> yes, he answered the question twice. <laughs> Good to know everyone's having a great day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 the, It's perfect barbecuing weather. We had, uh, of course, yesterday was Cinco de Mayo. Yes. So we we had a, a cultural appropriation day here as well, and cooked up a bunch of uh, of Mexican food. In fact, I was just in Chicago, and I made my Uber driver stop at Trader Joe's on the way to the airport so I could get some tortillas because uh-huh. we just can't get them here. And I and I and Tomatillos, and I brought them into the country probably. Illegally, super worth it. Well, there's nothing, there's no evidence. I've consumed it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, mustard was good. I, 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 I think that's probably the least contentious episode we've ever done. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, you can get argumentative about whether or not you like French, American, German, so on and so forth. But even then, people are just people aren't like. The others are crap. Mine's the best. They're like, I'm enthusiastic about this particular one. 
Yeah, which is good. It, that's 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 a that's a great thing. I think I think mustard's great. And actually, since we recorded that episode, I've I've worked hard to incorporate it into more things I do and just uh, do lines of Coleman's mustard <laughs> in the morning to wake up. I, well, it's kind of funny. I've been thinking about that as well. Yesterday, we had some friends over, and not to make Mexican food. Actually, we had the least thing from it. I I grilled uh, some some bratwurst, and and we had some uh, so, you know sausages and some pretzel rolls, and and then I busted out all the different here. kinds of mustards. And oh, nice! Yeah, I was the only one who went with the Dijon. All my friends went with the German. Uh, hot sweet style which um apparently we had in the fridge i didn't know but there's a company and i i was my in-laws are over at the moment i was talking about the last episode with them or they were listening to me talk about it i was probably more accurate and they reminded me that they always have a horseradish mustard and that is bloody delicious because you get two different types of uh well we didn't say what 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 do we say pungency yes what is heat one is the uh the almost sort of fruity horseradish and then the other is just the really uh, acidic mustard and it's great on a, on a sandwich steak sandwich i don't i'll have to ask them what the brand is because i don't think i've ever seen it i can't i can't remember they all there's like loads of them that come in the, in, in a very similar packet and they do things like uh a really good dijonese so the mustard mixed with dijon mustard mixed with mayonnaise yep yep uh, you'll know it when you see it when you go into the grocery store you'll you'll see it and you'll recognize exactly what i'm talking about in the u.s at least well if we miss anything on the mustard keep letting us know it seems like everyone still messages us about you know where they are when they're listening to catching up in our back catalog so we're always down to talk mustard um you know if you have a favorite one we did not talk about or an application we did not mention let us know but speaking of things that are great what was the best thing you ate since we last recorded I'm going to tell you the best thing that Ross Manson ate since. Oh, last okay. Cause yeah. He, Cause he sent us a picture <laughs> that is the most Scottish thing I've ever seen in my life. And, and Ross, we should clarify this by saying that our grandfather was from Paisley. So we are, we have, we, we, we have an affiliation, if not an affinity with Scotland. And he, he sent us a, a, a tweet right after the other episode came out, or maybe not even before, saying in Scotland, we have a pizza crunch, which sounds inoffensive on the face of it. It is the cheapest pizza covered in batter and then deep fried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, uh, I have met loads of people that don't like it until they try it. Yep. Uh, I know that you won't believe me, but it is awesome. Dude. 100 percent believe you that it is awesome and he also said that but this is also why the scots only live till their 40s yeah but he sent us a picture of basically it could be a piece of fried chicken but it's not it's pizza with chippy chips and i think that's a pickled onion isn't it a yeah, definitely onion? a pickled onion this is a heartburn in a photo but it, you know, it looks fantastic it does it really i'm just does. trying to i'm just trying to imagine what that must taste like. Like, Ross, you'll need to clarify, does it have, like, the cheese on it? And is there, like, pepperoni or anything else? Or is it just the pizza dough? I think it's a straight-up, like, kebab house or, like, DiGiorno-style pizza that they've cooked. And then they just just dip it in batter and then use the batter to insulate it from completely exploding. I mean, That's the kind of thing where you've had, like, maybe I've had one too many beers, and you're like, oh, you know what sounds awesome? Deep fried pizza. Yeah. I mean, the Scottish are masters of the deep fried arts. I mean, the deep fried scotched egg is also fantastic. And then also uh, deep fried king rib. Do you know what king rib is? Do no, you, explain. Do you know when you went, we were in school or... Oh, is it a McRib? Yeah, it's a McRib. So it's the thing that looks like a rib, but it's all just like forced meat. It's all like not, no bones in it. And they take one of those things and they dip it in batter and then fry it off. So it's actually... You, taking the worst possible thing possible for you and then making it worse. So, you know, you Scottish people, you are... you figured it out. Truly ninjas of the culinary arts. Yeah. You, yeah, you've definitely figured this out. Um, to answer your question, I'm going to tell you a couple of things. We just got back from Budapest, Sir Greg Bonyes and me, uh, and I, uh, and me, and we are filming an episode there. Stay tuned. And... There was a lot of good food there. It hung, uh, Budapest has changed dramatically in the last ten years since I went, and they've they've their food is uh, was always and is continued to be outstanding. But we went on a food tour. You'll see that in the episode. Great company if you're ever out there. I think my favorite thing was langosh, which are in a similar vein. Imagine a like personal sized pizza dough uncooked, and then they deep fry it. <laughs> 
and so it it's and then but you, you, it comes out and the, and the the basest simplest form they brush with garlic oil and it's bloody delicious but it's it's crispy obviously on the outside and pizza doughy in the middle but the this the traditional way of of serving it and this is like as hungarian as you get is with a crap load of sour cream and grated cheese not much not that unlike what we're going to be talking about later today no and that's why i thought it was so cool that was a great thing but the best thing i ate and i was like live broadcasting this on instagram as i was eating it which i never do because only dickheads do that i went to one of my favorite restaurants in london i was at a loose end by myself i went to temper which is a absolutely fantastic restaurant in soho Mm -hmm. and it's by neil rankin who was at i think he was one of the founding chefs at pit q wrote the cookbook uh low and slow uh, all about meat and it's basically meat and tacos so it's like like a barbecue restaurant that also specializes in tacos so the middle of the restaurant is like this huge smoke house fire pit and the menu is just to die for. Like they have aged cheeseburger tacos, which are the most extraordinary things I've ever had. But my favorite are the beef fat tacos. It's literally like rendered beef fat. And when you order it, they almost give you a disclaimer. Like they do. They, they, the, the gal's like, "Are you? It's literally beef fat on a taco. Are you? Are, are you okay with that?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, yes, that will be uh, that will be fine." What's brilliant is that I'm I'm going to be working out of London for about a week and a half in 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 uh, July August, and I looked up where my office is, and I looked up where this restaurant is, and they are it is very walkable. So yeah, it, and get get Greg to take you there because. Uh, when when it first opened, the menu was compact and tight enough for us to be able to actually say, "Bring us one of everything, Nave," and they did, and we ate all of it, and it was incredible. the The menu has expanded a lot since then, but yeah, that that was easily the best thing I ate uh, since we last recorded. And I've been to Chicago, and I've been to Budapest, and this was great, right in my backyard. I'm still. What about so, you? Oh, I'm still so disappointed that. Uh, my go-to stew of choice that I make f- multiple times during the winter months, uh, goulash, is not eaten in Hungary anymore. Well, it's it it is, but it not how we eat it. So there's a tourist version of it that I recognize. It's it's much more of a soup. Ah, okay, got it. it so goulash is a thing. It's definitely a thing in Hungary, but it's much more of a soup than the 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 stew that we've sort of uh, understood it to be. Got it. Okay. Um, I would be very interested to compare and contrast what I have and what they have. But Yeah, um, it's good. My current office in San Francisco is right on the border of uh, Chinatown. And one of my coworkers speaks fluent Mandarin. So uh, we go in and he can ah. just lay down the law uh, when we go to a bunch of places. And so we've been doing a bunch of dim sum. Had a fantastic dim sum um, lunch on Thursday, and he was able to uh, pick out a couple of things. This isn't my favorite thing that I had, but it was very, very good. Um, but at the end of the meal, I was like, hey, Albert, um, if we weren't here, if these guaylos weren't here, would you have ordered anything different? And he was like, some things would be the same, but you're sure as hell there'd be chicken feet on this table right now. And I'm nice. like, those are good. I'm like, dude, don't, don't pull any punches just for us. Um, but that was good. But the best thing was something I cooked. The weather's been good enough that we've been grilling a lot almost every day now. And I did a skirt steak with, uh, no, sorry, I did a tri-tip with, um, grilled, um, broccolini. And that was like finishing, oh, that sounds good. finishing the broccolini with some lemon juice and some, some feta. Uh, did you grill the broccolini? Is that- yep. No, no other cooking. Not, didn't even steam it. Just put it on a lower heat, uh, for, 15 minutes or so, just keeping an eye on it, 10, 15 minutes, and it was phenomenal. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I'm trying to stay away from, you know, the the heavier carb stuff as we get into the winter, into the summer, sorry, and, you know, I, I with, with something like broccolini, I just don't miss, like, uh, potatoes or sweet potatoes or pasta, so was, I don't know why, it's like something about it just makes me feel very satiated. So I would say that would probably be the best thing I ate, but I'm always 
thinking about this before we we log on to record and i'm all i know the moment i get off i'm gonna be like oh crap i forgot about this yeah 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 that, well that's that's a good problem to have yeah so what are you drinking as a next i am drinking a lovely steaming cup of lemsip <laughs> <laughs> to try and get rid of this cold but Tell me what you're drinking first, and then I'll tell you what I'm actually drinking. So we're gonna do a little experiment. I've mentioned this beer company before in the past, and I've had some of their stuff. It's Ballast Point. Um, you know, you oh, see yeah, it in yeah. a lot of places, but this is their Grunion. I hope I'm pronouncing that wrong. Right? It uh, it's a pale ale, and uh, it has uh, notes of uh, summer melon on it, and it really does. It's very very nice, very refreshing. Uh, show me the can. Grunion. I wonder what that means. What's a grunion? Guys, grunion, anyone? G-R-U-N-I-O-N. I know that they always have fish on the front of their... Um... It's a, it is a fish. It is a fish? Okay, it's there you a go. Fish. Is a sculpin it... a fish as well? Because that's their most famous one. Sculpin? Yeah. Uh, Probably. Yeah, maybe yep. unlocked a very, very <laughs> obvious thing. Well, there you go. Is it fish flavored? Uh, I hope not. Otherwise, I really have a bad palate. <laughs> and you're, I noticed you're drinking it right out of the can. Ugh, no, no, no. I mean, it's one of the small cans, so I'm just like, eh. Because I also have a Diet Coke. I always have a Diet Coke with me just in case. <laughs> just in case. In case of emergency. Just in case. Okay. We're going to do, do a little experiment here. First time ever on Mastication Nation. Uh, when I was in Hungary, I was given this bottle. And I was like, oh, wow, a perfume. I'll give it to my wife. Thank you very much. And they're like, ah, oh, wait, you're serious. No, it's not. It's alcohol. Can I explain uh, what it is? Oh, can I explain the bottle? Because to me, it looks like... It looks like a does look a perfume bottle, but it looks it like it does look like it is beautiful, like shaped. It's not big; it's maybe the size of a beer can, but like the beautiful shape. I'll post a picture of it on the Mastication Nation Twitter account before this episode goes up. But it doesn't have. There's no label at all on it, which is probably means we're going to hear me go blind. Uh, For those who play I, the, video games, it looks like what a side quest mission would give you when you were about to die, and it restores yes. your mana. That's a thing. great way of that's that's basically perfect. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out it's Palinka. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but P A P A acute accent L I N K A. It's not a game on the prices, right? That's Pachinko. Oh, close. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a fruit brandy. Apparently, it's very Hungarian. It's from the Carpathian Basin, and it's this one apparently is apricot flavored, and it is. 45% proof. Wow. That's wow. Yep. So if I can open it, I'm going to try it. <clears throat> I'll do some uh, light patter whilst Alex tries to open this bottle. <laughs> um, that's, that, is an, that is an interesting alcohol, and I'm surprised you were able to get it home because... I just threw it in my bag. Oh, it's a protected indication. It's it's one of those things that... Like, oh, like champagne. champagne, yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. But there's a there's an alcohol in South Africa that, that we used to sometimes drink if we had no regard for our sa- our safety called straw rum and um they Ooh. uh Cobus and Rich were trying to get us to drink that. Yeah, it's S- we like, I think it's S T R O H I think it's that how you spell it. Um and yeah. and it's got I remember like looking on the back of the bottle and there used to be a plane taking off with a cro- like a like a no sign through it basically like you cannot take this on the plane because it's liable to like cause <laughs> very bad problems. So if you ever had it I know it's also very popular in Holland as well. So uh were you able to open it? Yeah, yeah. I'm just reading about it. It's fascinating. It, it, so it's very uh strict in its definition. It has to be grown, grown, distilled, and bottled in Hungary, and it has to be ex- fermented exclusively from fruit grown in Hungary. Alex is now sniffing like it. There we are. He's pouring it out. Some 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 good sound. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't even sipped it yet. He's just smelling it. Here we go. It smells like I can't smell anything. So I can't say what it smells like. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, it's actually—it's very pleasant, actually. It's—it's—it's it's, um—it's—it's <laughs> not to be trifled with. Like you—you you, you feel it uh, going down, but it's not awful at all. In fact, it's very smooth. All right. Well, keep some. I wonder what. Uh, let's see. Should be served at eighteen to twenty-three degrees, which is exactly what it is. Celsius. Celsius, sorry, yes. Are you supposed to drink it in a tulip-shaped glass? To let the the, the, the smell come off of it. 
concentrates the note exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, I so you're not supposed to mix it with anything because it's a brandy, but uh, yeah. Wow. Very cool. Uh, thank you to the people who know that they gave this to me. <laughs> that's very um, that's very uh, cryptic. Like you're you're in Hungary and you met some people that gave you a liquid that you shouldn't be talking about. And it's 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 totally clear. Unlike well. other there's brandies, no, there's, yeah. There's no color to it as well. Exactly. So anyway, there you go. There's a mastication nation first. Alex getting uh, if drunk. I, <laughs> if I well, that's not a first. Uh, if I if I stop talking, you'll know why because my tongue is gone numb. But anyway. We already know what we're doing for this episode. We thought about doing noodles, didn't we? But yeah. that's just such a massive topic. And I think that we'll touch upon it on a couple – there's some letters coming up that are very – noodle is core to the um, application of these of these dishes. Um, yeah. So we'll hit on, on the noodles in those applications in each of yeah. those episodes. And it was funny because when we brought it up, we both went in very opposite directions of what it, noodles could be. And I think that that's what made us realize, oh, hang on a minute. This is too big. Yes. So, but nachos. No, uh, Mari thoughts on nachos. Mari, my dog's thoughts on nachos. <clears throat> um, where I think it's, this is the most uh, Berkeley thing in the world. Since Amazon bought Whole Foods, we get our uh, groceries delivered from Whole Foods through Amazon Prime. Uh, and you do that? Oh my God, you're living in the future. I know, and it's. I mean, the Whole Foods is just on, just on the street from us. But um, if you're a little hungover on a Sunday morning, this is a good way to to, to get your groceries. Um, yes, but will they deliver you nachos? Absolutely, they'll deliver you nachos. And as Alex alluded yeah, to, yesterday was Cinco de Mayo, and uh, we should have talked about it then anyway but there's so many reasons why nachos made sense it is exactly almost to the day the one year anniversary of mastication nation so you know oh yeah put some cheers to that cheers but put some you know filter in some some uh standing ovation clapping going on in the background here um (laughs) and then exactly and then uh our first episode exactly this time last year was uh on avocado which is so we talked about mexican food a lot in that episode so it just makes so much sense because it is it was cinco de mayo yesterday but we are both massive nacho fans and the thing i love so much about nachos compared to everything else we've talked about is there's an exact moment of origin there is no con- contention around this there is no you know uh, arguing around this there is um, a man there is a time there is a moment on how these were invented and i love that so much it's rare that is that there's not factions warring over it or who's this you know we've we've covered things like falafel which obviously is very heated and and you know, the kale and all their applications. Now, this is as good as it gets. And, you, you know, you touched on this earlier by saying, you know, nachos are great. And I, I was, when I was reading about this, like researching nachos, <laughs> how great is this job? Uh, Sever, the magazine, do you read Sever? I read some of their articles. I, I don't subscribe to the magazine. Whenever I'm in, a, in an airport in the US, I always get it. It's such a great magazine. They had a quote at the beginning of a sort of homage to nachos, which says, at their worst, nachos are good. And that's absolutely 100% true. Nachos are super, super good. So did you know the history before doing the research? I did. I did know the history because I think it's adorable. Uh, in 1944, in P- Piedras Negras, Mexico, which is on the border with uh, with Texas, Texas yeah. um, three military wives came across the border uh, from Fort Duncan. There was a lot more freedom of movement back then. And they were out and about shopping or just having a day of it. And they stumbled upon this restaurant, but it was about to be closed. Um, so the purveyor, um, there is a, this is the only piece of contention. Some people say he was a cook. His son said he was the maitre d'. I think, you know, he, regardless, he was the guy closing up shop. He was probably shop. a jack of all trades. He probably did both, exactly. poor guy. Exactly. He, he was closing up shop. Uh, and he was like, we have nothing. We have nothing. Sorry. The military wives were... Probably drunk. Yeah, probably drunk. Saying, is there anything you can make us? And uh, this cook said, let me go see what I got. Looked at what the leftovers he had. He had some cheese, some chilies, and some tortillas. And what he did was he cut up the tortillas. Uh, they don't know if they were already in chip form or not. But Probably you know, not. He, he, he fried them off, threw some cheese on there. You'll love what kind of cheese it was. It was a Wisconsin blend cheese. It was not even a local, you know, normal Tasty. cheese. Yeah. 
And then he had some like jalapenos and he threw them out to them and they loved it. Already, already, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's very similar to how like uh, Buffalo Wings were created, like mother of invention kind of situation. This guy's name was Ignacio Anaya. And when they asked him, what do you call this? They said it is uh, Nacho Especial. And Nacho. And this is hilarious because I only learned this from reading your notes. I had a friend. I have a friend called ignacio and he's like oh just call me nacho i'm like oh that's cute because nachos are great i had no idea that calling someone nacho is like calling someone whose name is alexander well it's more like you know how it's like the diminutive form of yes or i mean for me it'd be william willie billy or bill or whatever something like that so basically they said what do you call this and he was like it would be me like saying Will Special Tacos or something like that. So he called it Nacho Especial. Yeah, yeah. And so basically the whole history of this and the naming and something that is so – what I love so much is like if you have a plate of nachos at a ballpark or or at a restaurant, you're basically, can I have a plate of Will or can I get a plate of Alex? It's so weird. But like I love that. And that the Mexicans weird. have a lot of like if you know anything about the – uh, Mexican soccer team, nine times out of ten, they don't have their real names or refer to it. Like um, Javier Hernandez goes by Chicharito, which Chicharito. means P, um, which I love as well. And there's all these ones that just mean the diminutive form of something. Like burrito means little donkey, which I love as well. So they, they're really good with their nicknames down there. Yeah, and and I I again I'm tickled that this was why they're they're called nachos. So what a great story. Even when you when you do all the research, there's no some people say it's like this yes. is what happened. And because it wasn't that long ago, 1944, there are still first-hand witnesses going, yeah, I was there when it happened. Uh Yeah, and and his son uh, um Ignacio's son basically uh, pushed for it to become recognized and there's a statue to his father um in in Piedras Negras um in Mexico and he was a judge in like some national uh, nacho competitions which I love that, that that's a thing you know until he died in the, in the mid 2000s and so um you know there was a direct lineage to someone correcting any 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 bad uh math there but you know that's how they were created how they were sort of popularized it took a little longer. I mean, they have traced it back, and I love this, um, how fairs, world fairs and state fairs in America are so key to new food development. Like most people think of funnel cake and deep fried cheeses, which are you know fine, but they're state fair or, or world's fair things. But like <clears throat> the popularization of the burger, the population of the hot dog, the pretzel, the ice cream cone, they all came from fairs, like state fairs or world fairs. They, they were the sort of, the precursor to food trucks exactly, is the platform exactly. for experimentation and and also kind of excess <laughs> as well. Like how can we yeah, exactly. how can we turn this up to eleven and be slightly crazy? And that's fine. That's great. That's exactly Yes. And then That's fine. That's a it, good thing. <laughs> and so the 1964 Texas State Fair is where some, uh, somebody really just blew the lid off and they got worldwide acclaim. There was like people talking about it in the fifties and and early early sixties, but they sort of got like more news coverage, more, you know, sort of like, what are these amazing things on a national level in the 60s? I think but, there's, a, there's, a, there's a quiet irony here that, that, that uh, where is it, Piedras Negras is about as far south as it ever went. Because this is a, you know, and that's a border. With Me- like, this is not a Mexican. No, it is Tex-Mex. And I, <laughs> and I, I wrote a note saying this is the birth of Tex-Mex, and that is a, a gross... Uh, simplification because Tex-Mex has actually been um, going on since the late 1800s and actually was linked back to the Texas Me- Texas Mexico rail line and that's where the word came from uh, and then popularized sort of chili con carne with tortillas but this is the most I would say the most famous single one-off dish that sort of came from the Tex-Mex border but I, th- I thought you were going to say was this is kind of funny that this is you know, it's people associated with Mexico, um, but the most American pastime in the world is where it got its foothold. And so yeah. the, the Texas Rangers specifically, which is a, a baseball team in, in the U.S., uh, were the first guys to say, okay, we think this is amazing. It can be eaten. It can be shared. It's, it's stable. You don't need two hands for it. And they basically just marketed the crap out of it in the 70s and said, we are doing ballpark nachos. And that's what they called it. Um, and I love the, I love the little anecdote that Howard Cosell, who is a, is a very famous 
sportscaster. Oh, no, he's not. He died ages ago. I don't know why he said it is. Uh, he, he had a particular um, cadence in his voice. That oh, would come so. about it on the, Yes, exactly. Spot on. He liked saying the word nachos, uh, which I also like saying the word nachos. And so he said it all the time during his play-by-play of the Texas Rangers. Uh, and so it kind of people were like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> and so they investigated and they're like, well, it's it's tortilla chips and cheese. And again, and then that sort of falls to the points exactly that you were making. It's perfect ballpark food because it's uh, it's easy to eat. It's it's goes great with beer. And the legend was born. But that wasn't until 1976. Yeah, absolutely. So there was 30 plus years before it really sort of hit this inflection point of this is the world's greatest food. I think that in the, in the what was it, in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, salsa overtook ketchup as the, the number one condiment in America. And I think that like just the acceptance of, of Tex-Mex and Mexican food in general, I think sort of, sort of explosion of, of nachos across the, you know, TGI McGillagutties and all those kind of different chain restaurants. It was easy, quick. And as you'll find out, it's a great way to use leftover bits and pieces to make it, make a dish. So we talked about like, you know, the history of it. We need to take a little bit of a step back and be like, does everybody know what nachos are? They are tortilla chips and cheese. <laughs> yes. With some, usually a little bit of heat. Um, so let's take a step back and like dissect each individual aspect of it from the very, very basic stuff. But that's it. Those are the two things. When you have tortillas, tortilla chips, and melted cheese, those are nachos. That that that's that's the only two things that need to come together in like a Voltron of awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like just like our burger episode, um, the only two things that need to be consistent in a burger are the 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 meat and the bread. Everything else is is ancillary. So this is similar. The tortilla chips and the cheese are are, are absolutely. This is really good, by the way. What are you drinking? Oh, you're still drinking your uh, yeah. <laughs> your it's not it's not chugging. Well, maybe I bet you do. I bet you're supposed to like bam, but no, it's very good. Are, if we have any Hungarian listeners or listeners who speak Hungary. Uh, um, Hungarian, which I, 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 who are hungry, um, if they could tell me like what is the salu in in Hungarian, that'd be amazing. Oh, Greg knows why because he got drunk. I'm gonna get. I, I'm going to get Greg to record it, and I'm gonna post it into this episode because it's adorable. Cheers in Hungarian. Egeshegedra, egeshegedra, egeshegedra. So let's just talk a bit about the base level ingredient of, of, of tortilla chips. For that, we need to talk about tortillas. Again, this is, I love how the Spanish language works and tort, the ia on the end of it is a diminutive form. So tortilla. So a lot of people know that tort is, is a word for a cake. So it literally means little cake. And if you think about what a tortilla is, it's, it's a, piece of flat corn it's uh, corn masa which we'll get into in a second that has been cooked into you know a lot of people call it crepe a lot of people call it flatbread whatever you want to call it the the mesoamerican which is the mexican down to central america cultures version of bread and so it is incredibly interesting just the tortilla itself um and how the aztecs and how the the other groups sort of came about making this because corn by itself for those that don't believe in sort of gmo corn is the worst and best thing to sort of prove and disprove your argument original corn um when it was first like the proto corn was this thing called teacente um it was about maybe three inches long had absolutely no real nutritious um, aspects to it. But through years of sort of selecting the right one and, and breeding it, they were able to get this um, modern crop of corn out of it through thousands upon thousands of years. The only thing is that there's this really heavy pericarb, which is the outside of the corn kernel, which is tough and makes it very difficult to eat and if you don't take care of it correctly is not exactly that nutritious for it for you so the mesoamerican people had to figure out a way to get the most amount of nutrition out of this but also make it as um workable as possible so they invented a process called nixamilization um which is the process of making corn who did the mesoamerican so like uh we're talking aztecs we're talking it was all pre wow. all pre-columbian and that, that's an important point in a second because it's the process of making corn more palatable and nutritious through the application of an alkaline solution. Nowadays, 
It's through the use of lime water to basically soften the corn and remove the pericarb and bring out a lot of the um, uh, nutrients of the corn. But lime didn't come to North America until the Columbian Exchange. So what they did was they used wood ash. And because wood ash is slightly alkaline, they basically used lye to uh, wood ash or lye to um, mix into the the corn. And then they were able to remove the pericarb. They were able to smash up the the remaining corn and make masa, which masa is is for intents and purposes dough. I love that they were able. I I love stuff like how they this. figured it out. Yeah, they, how they figured it out because it's also like looking at a cow and go, I'm going to squeeze those dangly things and I'm going to drink whatever comes out of yeah, it. Yeah, or how the hell did the first person make cheese? I'm taking that analogy a little yeah. further. Or I know that beer was the first ever recipe anyone's ever found. Like that's how desperate people were to get you know, messed up. But um, the, the removing of the pericarp to make it easier to grind um, and sort of this step of, of nexamilization was abandoned when it was taken back to Europe. Uh, and because of that, you can get this horrible disease called pellagra, which causes skin irritation, mouth ulcers, diarrhea, and then death. Uh, and it's because you you can't get at the niacin, and it's a niacin deficiency. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because you basically, if the pericarb is still in place, you will not get... It's like breaking down the food to be... It's why you, know, why you should cook food vegetables to get more vitamins out of them than raw vegetables. That kind of situation. Um, or brown rice versus white rice. You can get pellagra if you don't correctly prepare brown rice as well um so they were you know, like i said they were so far uh, advanced from what we were doing in europe at the time and then what you do is you take the masa squeeze it into discs uh, depending on and how you don't do it is up to you a lot of people use presses these days a lot of people back in the day would use hand their hands and make tiny tiny very very thin pancake things and then cook them on what they would call a kamal um, we would just call a griddle to be nice cooked and your know, modern tortilla is born and they are wonderful, wonderful. Yes. And so this is what you'd use for, you know, your tacos and less so your burritos. They use flour tortillas for that, which we won't get into. But the corn tortilla, once it's been cooked, you know, as if you were going to be using it for tacos, this is where the real magic happens. And so the mother of, of uh, necessity and invention comes out. You see that you have a bunch of leftover ones at the end of the day. Don't want to waste it. You cut them up into whatever shape. Some people also argued that it was this sort of like the tater tots. It was like the offcuts of, you know, the leftovers when they were making the tortillas. Throw them in some deep fat oil and you have the best chip to me out there. I am more of a yeah. tortilla person than a potato chip. They're usually, they're usually uh, a little salt on them, I think, makes them. Yeah, absolutely. But the, but there are and I've I've discovered this by going to the co-op the other day. There are bad tortilla chips. Yeah, uh, no, of, of course, I, I, and that would probably come down to skipping a, num a number of steps. But you know, if you don't have the right oil, the right temperature, you, if you don't dry them correctly or put salt on them as well. I mean, I, I'm in the bastion of great tortillas here in California to the point where I can walk to one of many Mexican supermarkets or most. Most cities in – even small cities, even small towns in the west coast of America will have a tortilla factory. And you can just walk up and buy them straight out of the back door. So when you come across a bad tortilla, you're pissed because you're like, how did this even slip through? Yeah, And generally, you can go to any good grocery store and get good – or not even a good grocery store. A grocery store and get serviceable tortilla chips. Yes. And I think it's obviously that's the the most fun, fundamental component of of nachos. But then there's the other the yin, yin to the yang, if you will, uh, of the tortilla chips, which is the which is the cheese. This is harder. This is much 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 harder because you can't just melt cheddar in a microwave or in a, even in a saucepan. You actually try that and watch what happens. You'll be full of disappointment. And then throw it over some tortilla chips. It doesn't work like that. It's it's a lot more complicated. And if you think about tortilla uh, or nachos in their most pure form, which is ballpark, I think, uh, that cheese is not easy to replicate. And most people just go to the store and get either powdered or in a can nachos, which we'll come back to. But Kenji Lopez-Alt, who obviously we refer to a lot because he's a genius, 
wanted to, he's great at how do you recreate these beloved foodstuffs at home? What's the science behind creating these ingredients? And he has a fantastic article on Serious Seeds about queso or nacho cheese. And And he basically sort of breaks it down like this. Cheese at its most purest form is water, milk fat, protein, micelles, and salt. And bacteria, if you are doing an aged cheese, right? So you get blue cheese and flavoring. But that's that's fundamentally what it is. When you when you heat up normal cheese, be it in a microwave or in a saucepan, that that liquid that fat will come together into these nasty, greasy pools, and they separate from the water and the protein. And then as you continue to stir it, the proteins which are like suspended in the water that hasn't evaporated as you're heating up heating up the water they glue themselves together and then you get these these like nasty st- stretchy tangled curds which are the exact opposite of the smooth velvety pourable consistent cheese that you expect on nachos and and set aside in your mind pub nachos or even some bar nachos that literally are the sort of heated up cheddar cheese that's then congealed and so you can pick up one nacho chip and also pick up 65 others that's yes. that's not what we're after here that's that's the result of the process i was just i just mentioning to get that that velveta which if you are in america or have been to america is the the gold standard in in pourable quasi ultra processed cheese of which there is nothing wrong i think their actual slogan is liquid gold <sighs> i mean that person should be promoted who came up with that. You want cheese that's not greasy, not stringy, not co- coagulated, not lumpy. You have to keep that fat from separating out of you know itself into these sort of pustules almost. Uh, and then adding the moisture to, to thin it consistently out uh, and then stop those proteins from breaking apart and that's that's not easy and actually it requires ingredients that when you say them out loud seem utterly incongruous to something like nacho cheese when you heat it you're you're potentially going to break the emulsion and to the point where the term where they split is called breaking um and so you will get it's much like uh, and if you leave a, a poorly made vinaigrette or salad dressing that doesn't have our good friend mustard in there, which works as an emulsifier, you will have you know a separation of the oil and, and, yeah. and other things. So you need um, to find something that keeps that emulsion nice and stable. Yes. And Kenji, again, through experimentation, if you haven't got his book, The Food Lab, get it because it's phenomenal. And you can see the amount of research that went into finding these solutions is cornstarch. So cornstarch absorbs that water, which causes the first the problem in the first place, and it, it that thickens the liquid phase of the sauce, which is which is key, like like a like a xanthan gum or any type of gum actually. If you're making a sauce and it's too thin, you don't just dump a bunch of flour into it. You you use a cornstarch or you use flour and you make a slurry. And I know you're going to sort of going onto that, but like these are things that sort of protect the fat they they wrap themselves around the fat to make sure that they don't break open and and split yeah exactly they they stop the the proteins and the fats coming together and and causing these globules so that you get lovely smooth cheese but the thing that he figured out that i didn't and he kind of reversed engineered almost Velveeta was what if you could find a milk that had most of its water already removed so you're kind of you don't have a a surface or a platform for this breaking to take place and he's like oh evaporated milk like literally as the name says most of the water content has been removed so it's a really high concentrate of milk protein so his his recipe for which is high in lecithin which is the protein that you that helps do that this you need exactly and very low on water so you, you've got that lovely protein so his recipe for a nacho cheese like smooth creamy nacho cheese is sharp cheddar uh or a mix of cheddar and pepper jack if that's your jam uh cornstarch and evaporated milk and then everything just comes together beautifully and it comes out exactly like you would expect creamy Velveeta or ballpark nacho or uh, he said his wife says that the, the holy grail or the gold standard is the Fuddruckers cheese sauce. 
Because no Which, every time you say that, all I can think of is uh, Idiocracy. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great movie. Uh, so it's it's not easy to do at home. And I think – but the funny thing is, is like whenever I make nachos at home and I like take some tortilla chips, cover them in grated uh, mature English cheddar cheese, and they come out of the microwave, I'm not disappointed. You know? <laughs> like it's not nachos as as I want them to be, like in ballpark nachos. With vel- it's a like, deconstructed quesadilla. And it's fine. And it's like, this is still going to be completely amazing. But it's not to get that to get that creaminess and that smoothness and that velvetiness, you have to go through that. You need that high protein milk, the evaporated milk, you need cornstarch, uh, and you need uh, a, a good flavorful base base cheese to get it. Yeah. So th- those are the like the two most important components of nachos you have those two things together then you have nachos but uh we've never we never leave things to be as simple as that we also um alton brown has a recipe for tacos that is a bit tacos uh, or nachos tacos. nachos sorry that is a bit too faffy for me but i i understand he was trying to prove a point where he um put out a bunch on, on a bunch of uh baking sheets like or wire racks like you know all the taco all the t- God. the tortilla chips that he was going to use and then sprinkled on his um, cheese blend on top because he wasn't using a, a nacho cheese like a, a spreadable or a pourable cheese. He was using a mix of cheddar and Oaxacan and then putting a, a single uh, slice of jalapeno on top of each one. So each one is like its own little crudite almost. Uh, and then you can sort of make your own so you don't get that massive sort of t- uh, nacho web. Um, which is which is interesting, which is fine, but the whole pourable cheese thing, where you can lift it up, and it's so interesting that uh, that the sporting event places got this right. Like you go to you go to a ballpark and get ballpark nachos compared to you know, your loaded nachos at you know TGI Fridays or or Chili's or whatever, and they're two separate beasts, and they both have their places. To your point, um, the nacho cheese pouring stuff is not a lesser beast to alex's point it's his favorite version of it yeah no there i don't i honestly don't think that there's one one better than the other but what you add to it then i mean it just spirals off in a million different directions because you you the the loaded or super or ultra nachos that you can see everywhere the variety of toppings are so so i I brought broke this out into tiers, and so I think you have to have like tiers. one of tiers one, and then two, and then three. You can't like have some of tier one and some of tier three. It just doesn't work. So, in tier one, I put tortilla chips, good cheese, and then I also put in um, salsa or, or or pepper or something with some heat, which is debatable. That's up to you guys if you want to do that. I've seen other people that do queso blanco and Oaxacan cheese, which are well, queso blanco. It's more that farmer's cheese which is still very very firm and it never really melts like feta which is a great finishing cheese so like if you want to crumble this on right at the end it, it just like perfectly you know gives you a sharp saltiness or whatever the kind of cheese you're using without melting all over the place so for me that's that's tier one you know that's a perfectly serviceable uh plate of, of nachos for, for tier two you're looking into more Things that are, are are accents and very very common. So your sour cream, your guacamole, your uh, dusting of cilantro, and then beans. Which is I'm putting beans in this t- tier well ahead of any meat varieties because I feel like good nachos, whether it is black refried or pinto beans, just work well and it gives you that sort of meatiness as well. I mean, if you were doing nachos, would you ever put beans on there? Definitely black beans. Well, Black beans? Yeah. I like black beans, but I also like the the scoopability and and the and the scoopability. Um, contr- I don't the think control. I've ever heard that word said out loud. The control <laughs> you get with re- <laughs> Because like with, 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 with black beans, they can just roll off if they're not like buried under a, a mountain of cheese. But I like with, the controllability of a refried bean. That's gonna be on your headstone. Yeah. Or, or if we ever roll out T-shirts, that's that's the that's the first <laughs> T-shirt go. right there. It's a little less macabre. <laughs> so you 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 know that's tier two, and then tier three is your stuff like your your you know lemon lime grilled chicken, your steak carnita, your steak, your carnitas. 
I put this one in here, ground beef. I know that's very, very common. I don't like it. And then the, my last and absolute favorite thing on nachos, which I made the other day and sent you a photo of, which is chicharrones. Yeah. I never had them on nachos. Uh, well, my local Mexican supermarket like sells them. I think I sent a few a photo. A lot of people think of chicharrones as sort of just like puffed skin. This one was much more like crackling, where it was like this, you know, thick layer of the of the skin, and then still some fat and still some meat. Break those up, put them on top of all nachos. I'll take that over over steak and chicken all day. And carnitas obviously is a different thing altogether. I I don't. I think when I think of nachos beyond the tortilla chips and cheese, and I, perhaps I've been in this country too long, but I. Imagine them with a scoop of guac, a scoop of salsa, and a scoop of sour cream. Just like like um, in America, in England, sorry, in America, they're technically called they're not called ice cream scoops. Called they're di- they're called dishers. So like a scoop from a disher on top, like kind yeah, like ice cream yeah, scoops. Yeah, pretty much. And and that to me would be would be great as long as the salsa is not terrible and too sweet, which often it is here. But uh, uh, I that. If I was going to make it at home, that's what I would I would load it up, load it up with. I think chicken and steak, carnitas, ground beef, chicharron, those are all wonderful things. And then I think it starts to get a bit faffy. Not that I would abs- ever turn it down, but I I love nachos so yeah. much. And I love it's one of those gas one of those- station nachos. I love ballpark nachos. I love sports bar nachos. I love homemade nachos. <laughs> There's something wrong with you at a at a genetic level if you don't like nachos. It's one of those things that like you can keep adding to it and it will it's not gonna get worse. Yeah. Um unlike like a burger. Well then you have like huevos rancheros. It's like let's make I know I have an idea. Let's make breakfast nachos. Let's put a fried egg and some avocado and black beans and it'll be funny. And like like fry the tortilla is like that's breakfast nachos. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. I think it's, I think it's one of those things that has a, a million other variations. And I know that um, uh, te- um, uh, Mexican or Tex-Mex style food and Korean food, there's been that massive like overlap over the last few years of them trying stuff. You get like Mexican, ta- you get started, uh, sorry, you get kimchi tacos and yeah, Korean yeah. tacos and stuff like that. But then I've seen taco, I've seen nachos that have incorporated uh, kimchi and the spicy, and the, rather than salsa, they use the spicy sauce. And then for the meat, they use um, bulgogi. Oh, bulgogi, yeah, bulgogi. Um, and that's been fantastic. And they just use the taco. Uh, they use the tortillas at the, at the bottom. Sorry, and and everything else. I don't know what they're using for cheese though. They have to be a very specific cheese to work with that. Um, but yeah, let us know what your favorites are. Like I, I, I don't think I've ever come across taco. Of, I keep on saying tacos, uh, nachos that I haven't liked. I've had bad nachos here, but again, as Sever said, they're still good. You know, yeah, I think the only think- thing that ruins it is a bad salsa. Like you could have the crappiest cheese on there, and actually, the crappiest cheese is usually the best cheese. But if it's like uh, really, it's it's sort of re coagulated into one giant web as you said of cheese and then it's got really sweet nasty ass salsa on it then i'm a little disappointed because i think you've ruined the potential of something amazing but i'm still gonna eat it there's one thing that seems to be a staple of maybe like the tier two that absolutely doesn't feel authentic or not at all and i don't understand where it came from and it seems to be only um in in pub or or chain restaurant nachos and maybe a bar sports bar nachos is cut up black olives. Uh, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. I think you see that a lot on uh, taco salad and tostadas as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't like olives. It's one of the few things that I won't eat. But uh, so I just think it ruins it. But yeah, I, you're right. You know what's I've funny? Is what's our, you know what our next letter is? Uh, yes, I would assume it's O. Yeah, so I mean, we should do olives. We should do I olives, and I can. I like olives a little bit, but anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's important for uh, us to <laughs> to face our fears. Exactly, we can talk olive oil, which I do love. But I mean, this is something that obviously it makes sense. It's been a year. It's 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 Cinco de Mayo. It's something that we both love. Um, I don't think there's any aspect of what you like that I don't. Um, and you know, as we're rounding this out, I would love to hear 
what people's takes are, what people's favorites are. Are there any sort of deconstructed nachos out there that like they've replaced the taco, the tortilla chips with fried with bread. something else with fried bread and like and that becomes something else. Like is there I think we've established it has to be tortillas and it has to you know it has to be corn tortillas and it has to be cheese. Everything else is up for grabs unless you prove us wrong. Yeah, you? no, I, I'd love to hear to hear more about that. Um, if you've experienced some great nachos or you've experienced great bad nachos. Yeah. And there are very few foods where you can say, I had really good, bad X. And nachos I think I just thought thing. of one that would be the greatest ever kebab nachos. You. <laughs> I might have to go try that. To the kitchen. Away. To the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I uh, hope you start feeling better. We'll try. I know you're traveling a lot over the next uh, six weeks. And so we'll figure out time to record. Um, but also, you're coming here, so I'll see you soon. Yes. And we'll maybe do one in person. And we'll do a kebab taco nachos. Yeah, we'll kebab nachos. And we'll kebab taco nachos. <laughs> but until next time, eat well. Eat well.